0: Welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob joined by Carl Mascareñas and today we are breaking down Manchester United's 2-0 defeat to Manchester City in the semi-finals of the EFL Cup. Goals from Stones in the 50th minute, Fernandinho in the 83rd minute sealed United's fate. Carl, a disappointing result obviously as United are striving for trophies, but Maybe a bit of a reality check in terms of where United are at as a team and that City and Liverpool are probably right now still a class above.
1: Yeah, Vivek, I think a uh, reality check is a is a great way to describe the end result of that game. Lots of things that were promising, but it just goes to show you where we are in terms of where we want to be. And we're still a step behind the big boys. Now we're at a point in our season where we can start to go by the wayside, kind of like we did last year where we lost those three semifinals? Or are we going to show that we can step up to the the big league and sort of put this result behind us? It was a one-off game. We did get outclassed, but we've got another game coming up. And let's go win that and show people that we have learned and grown from the experience that happened last year.
0: Yeah, I think that's an important point you make because if you look at the narrative before United went on this run in the league and found some great form, it was that the season was really seesawing and you had up and down results and you had a lot of inconsistency. If you can just shut this down immediately, respond against Watford, get to the next round of the FA cup, and then win your league game against Burnley to go top of the table in the league, you're right back on track and you can just move on from this loss things go south, then we're back again to talking about, oh, this is a seesaw season. United can't hold on to that consistency.
1: If I were to take any encouragement from this defeat, even though we went down 1-0 to Man City pretty early on in the second half, the belief from the players out there never wavered. In seasons gone by, when, when you're down to like a Man City, we've seen teams crumble, right? We've seen United crumble. I did not see any of that. And I myself felt confident that we were actually going to get a goal in that game. I thought, you know what, we were going to be able to unlock it. That was just based on the way the guys were playing, right? And the confidence that they're showing Bruno, Paul Pogba, they all looked up for it. And I think that's what's going to be extremely important going forward. It looks like that self-belief is there from the players. And I don't think they're going to need any extra motivation from Ole. I think this loss in itself is going to motivate all of them. And you could just see from the looks on some of their faces that, hey, you know what? Let's go get the next one.
0: The fight that they showed, the desire that they showed, obviously, this was a match that they wanted to get in the bag. After losing three semifinals last year, they would have known the narrative coming into this match. They gave it everything. They huffed and they puffed. Unfortunately, they couldn't blow the house down. That's going to happen from time to time. That's going to happen with a side that is still aspiring to a level that can match up with the cities and the Liverpools right now. But let's go back to the start of the match. Obviously, United go to the typical 4-2-3-1. You had Dean Henderson stepping in goal for David De Gea. Cup competition that was uh, expected on my part. Maybe a bit of a surprise was seeing... Victor Lindelof get in ahead of Eric Bailly especially considering the form that Eric Bailly was in the pace that he brings to the table but at the same time that's someone who's been injury prone he's played four matches on the trot over a busy period you can understand why he was left out. City on the other hand I thought they made a really important tactical change in switching Raheem Sterling out wide and even more central where now you're taking him away from that matchup against Aaron Wan-Bissaka, a matchup that he has really struggled with the last few years.
1: A couple of things. I'll talk about the way United were set up, and then we can talk about Ch- uh, City. So in terms of the United starting lineup, I must uh, I must hand it to you. You were, you were almost spot on with your predictions. You said Henderson was going to play in net. I kind of argued with you and said De Gea would be in net. I had several other changes that... Worned him in clothes, so I'm going to hold my hand up. If you, if you, <laughs> you want to give me the Beckham boot, I'm okay with
0: that. No, I, I don't think there's uh, beating a certain French striker uh, that was up front for United today, no matter how many changes you might have got wrong. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But, but based on, on, on the lineup that we had out there,
1: one thing that I was very much looking forward to was how Scott and Fred in the middle were going to handle City. Because watching the game against Chelsea, where City played Chelsea over the weekend, they played with no recognized striker. However, they had three guys up front who seemed to be switching roles pretty often, and it was Phil Foden, Kevin De Bruyne, and Raheem Sterling. And Chelsea just couldn't cope with not being able to defend a striker, right? And what ended up happening was, invariably, with the three that I mentioned, and you had Gundogan, Raheem, sorry, uh, Riyad Mahrez as well, they were almost outnumbering the Chelsea midfield. So I wanted to see how Scott and Fred were going to handle that. And you could see within the first five minutes, there was a lot of space for the Kevin De Bruyne's, Riyad Mahrez coming in, cutting in, right? And you could see from the chance that was created where Kevin De Bruyne rattled the the post. But what I was very impressed with was whether it was some on-field communication from Fred and Scott and Maguire they seem to close up that space really well. You know, something that we've talked about in the past is that United are naive, right? The The game that comes to mind is a Red Bull game where we lost 3-2, where Angelino had all sorts of space on the on the left-hand side. And we just weren't able to think quickly on our feet to kind of figure it out for ourselves. There was no adaptation. Yes. and And it made us pay because like within the first 15 minutes, we were two goals down. This didn't happen in this game. And that's why I was very impressed that we were able to think and figure it out on the field, right? And that's where your experienced characters come in. And it looks like this team is learning, right? We were able to shut down that space. And quite frankly, our tactics, uh, they worked in the first half. It was just unfortunate that we couldn't get our act together. I thought Rashford had acres of room on the right-hand side and he had Zinchenko's number. Zinchenko had no idea how to mark Rashford. If Rashford had a little bit more patience because we knew that he had the beating of him when it came to speed, it's just that he was making his run way too early and he was uh, getting called offside or wasn't giving Bruno enough chance to get that pass to him in order to to make things work. You could see Rashford was in behind. He had some one-on-ones. He had some bad touches. So that's why I feel this is very promising because it wasn't a game where City dominated us and was outright winners there were definitely chances for United to come back in that game. What I will say, and, and what you you mentioned, Vivek, was Anthony Mashnell, there's a lot more he can give. There's a lot more that he could give to us. And if we had him in the right frame
0: of mind, I think uh, this would be a very different game. Is there a lot more he can give, though? Because we have a significant sample size now where we have seen him look like this, right? Where he looks... You know, lackadaisical, where he looks like the type of player that wants the ball exactly where he is and isn't willing to put in the hard yards to create for others, open up space for others. And seems very one-track minded in terms of how he wants to get his goals. So is there really more to give? Can anyone reasonably expect Martial to put in a shift, put in those hard yards, really sacrifice for yourself? sacrifice yourself for the team. Is there more to give from Martial's part? The short answer
1: is for me no if he's playing as a recognized striker. He that's just not his natural position. Yes, he did well after the restart, but it's but that's what he wants. Yeah, no, he I don't think he he can after seeing the likes of Cavani and even Greenwood for that matter, uh the runs being made and and the work being put in I can't see Marcial doing that role just purely because as a striker, one of your jobs sometimes is to make those runs to take away a defender to create space for people coming in behind you. The amount of times that Marcial could have made her run and did not was baffling to me. Another instance was there were some fantastic crosses coming into the box, either from Luke Shaw or from Rashford, where it was in that danger zone and it was just crying. For someone to run and attack the near post. Something that Edinson Cavani has made a living off of. However, it just didn't look like Anthony had the appetite to do that. You're absolutely right when you said that he likes to score a certain type of goals. If you want to be a striker, you've seen this. Strikers score all sorts of goals. It doesn't matter where it comes off. If it comes off your backside, your, your shin, your toe, just get in the back of the net. But for Anthony... He loves that curler that goes in the far post. That's what he's known for.
0: You see it from strikers all the time, right? Like (laughs) toe punt, you know, scrambling to just get it over the line, whatever it is. There's that desperation to get the ball in the back of the net. At the end of the day, when you go home and you look at your stats, it doesn't say how you scored this goal. And it's not like you get two goals for a curler, you get, you know, half a goal for a tap-in from five yards out, they all count the same. And it's almost like Martial doesn't understand that. You know, I tweeted during the game saying, man, what I would give to pay whatever kind of fine or whatever it is to just get Cavani on the pitch. It's it's so frustrating to watch Martial out there sometimes and, you know, on the, on the other end, you know, we've, we've come to accept what Pogba status is going to be in the summer. But at least it looks like he's moved on from that you see him giving everything he can so when you so when we say oh there's more to give with pogba i can look at him and say yeah there is more to give on those occasions where you can see it's lacking because he's shown time and again that when his mind is focused on winning the game when his mind is focused on showcasing himself to another team he will give everything
1: yeah no, you're, you're right. And you know, whenever Pogba was on the ball, I was looking forward to because I'm like, he can make something happen right now. And he definitely looked like he was in that mood to make something happen, right? He was he was running a fair bit in that game. He was like he did in the last game, to be honest with you. He was all over the place. He was defending, he was attacking, he was going down the left, right? So it's just something that you keep banging my head against. Now, something else that I don't know if is a concern for you, but something that I did notice in the game was Bruno when he was playing you know he's always been one for uh, having his head on a swivel and knowing where players are going to be without even looking but it's now with increasing frequency where he's misplacing some of those passes that he wasn't misplacing before now i i think that's purely as a result of him playing almost every single game and playing 90 minutes every game are we entering dangerous territory where like Bruno is just high risk of getting burnt out where some of that creativity, that spark that he provides for United might get lost because he's playing every single game. This is a hint
0: for the preview for the next match that we'll do, but there's absolutely no way in my plans that he's playing against Watford. You absolutely should have the resources available to win that match without Bruno. And he, I think you're spot on. He needs a break. There's no question about it. Hopefully that's all he needs because after that, again, we're going to need him. (laughs) But back to Bruno's play specifically in this match, I feel like this is something I've talked about with you before where maybe he needs to just slow it down a little bit for himself. Maybe he needs to just get a few passes going that make him feel good about himself. And then it's like, okay, let's expand everything again. You know, let's get an easy layup. And then we can go for the threes again. I thought some of the frustration was showing, especially after United trailed, where he really wasn't in the range to shoot, or I haven't seen him score from that range yet in a United uniform, but he was blasting them 40, 45 yards. It almost looked like, and he was taking the shot. And I was like, Hey, come on, you can build up, play better than this. And just show that patience. Maybe some of that is tiredness too, right? Where, Maybe on another day, we see him spray that ball out wide and then run into the box or run to the wing and offer support there. And so maybe some of that is fatigue. A little bit of that may be frustration with knowing that he's got a striker in front of him that isn't really going to make the moves that he's hoping for. So all of those, I think, are factors that play into it. It's one that I, I just move on from because we know that Bruno has established a standard at this club of what he's going to bring to the table. You never fault his effort, but maybe mentally he just needs a little break right now.
1: Why don't we break down that that goal, first goal that City scored. Mm-hmm. What did you see uh, from that set piece and the subsequent goal from John Stones uh, from a United perspective? And is there anything that we could have done better?
0: So this was around the 50th minute. United were actually in possession. Fernandinho had just received his yellow. He gets the yellow. I'm saying, oh... You know, there's going to be some opportunities for United now because he can't commit that tactical foul like he's been committing all game. That's that's what frustrated me so much. To concede the goal so quickly after that happens was a shame. You look at the foul Scott McTominay commits. Does he need to commit that foul with Aaron Juan right there? Is it a soft call? Maybe a little bit. But still, United should be defending it better. When the ball comes in, I was really disappointed with Victor Lindelof because he sticks his leg out like he's about to clear it and then he backs away. I don't know if in the last second he realized he was not going to get to it or whatever it was, but he takes that leg away and then it puts, it it throws Harry Maguire off because it's like, oh, I thought this guy had it. Now, should Maguire take some of the blame because you, you shouldn't assume those things? And you should just be going to clear that ball anyway. And if Lendeloff gets to it, great. If not, I'm ready. That's another worthy debate point, I think. But between those two, that ball should be going out of play.
1: Yeah, you know, when we were watching the game and you made the point, because when I, when I saw that goal the first time, I thought Harry Maguire was at fault. Because all I could see was Maguire letting the ball go. And then John Stones, however he scored that with his chest, with his knee, I, I don't even know what it was with. But then looking at it on the second replay, you could clearly see that Lindelof was was going to kick the ball and then it just happened to come at an awkward height where his hip or whatnot. And he probably thought, hey, you know what? I don't want to score an own goal, so I'll let it go. Somebody else has got it behind me, right? And at that point, it was too late for Maguire to react. I do think that Luke Shaw has a, a, a part to play in this and he was a bit to blame as well in terms of John Stones being that open. I think he could have applied a little bit more pressure and made it a little bit more awkward for stone to mm-hmm. to make connection on that. Overall it was a very sloppy goal that we conceded. Yep. Based on how we've been defending of late, it was it was poor. Which brings me to to my next point of the comparison between Victor Lindelof and our man of the match in the last game Eric Bailly. There were several things that I saw in today's game which which told me an on form Eric Bailly starts every single time over Victor Lindelof. I know it's a very small sample size. I, I I might be getting carried away, but what I saw was I saw some insecurities whenever there was a ball hit in the air when it came to heading from Lindelof. This is not something that's new. We know this exists, and he has a hard time judging where the ball's going to be or the bounce of the ball, where you never have the, any of those issues with Bailly because if there's one thing you know, if is not getting the ball, He's taking the guy out. And I know uh, Everton's Rick Carlson knows all about that, right? So uh, that's number one. Number two, on the ground, I just felt that, you know, Bae's pace gives him a little bit extra over Lindelof. Whenever Man City were breaking, whether it was Foden on the left-hand side or whoever it was, and there was a, there was space because one bissaka was further up the pitch, I was very nervous and I was wondering what was going to happen. But when Bai was in those situations, he was able to close the space down to a point where he at least slowed it down where all of our players could come back. So those were some of the reasons why I think Eric Bai is going to definitely get much more of a look in. You hit the nail on the head like he just needed a break just because he hasn't played so many games in such a short amount of time. And we cannot afford for him to get injured.
0: It's funny. We talk about Lindelof's hesitation and then backing out at the last second. What can you always count on Eric Bai for to go all in yeah. <laughs> on everything, right? <laughs> yeah, if, he, if he's gonna if he's gonna score an own goal, he's gonna score the best own goal. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where you know again, it's not even as much about Eric Bai's individual skills as it is about the way it complements Harry Maguire's play. When you've got someone with Bai's kind of pace, Bai's ability. To bring the ball forward, the athleticism, it just fits so nicely alongside Harry Maguire. And you've made the point about defensive partnerships and having that chemistry. Lindelof and Maguire have had good stretches together, but I would say that there is a very definitive ceiling when those two are your center backs. Those two as a pairing are not designed to go up against every possible type of matchup because they just don't have the physical capabilities to deal with certain type of players. And so when you've got the complement of Harry Maguire's size and positioning alongside Eric Bailly's athleticism and pace, there's no question at, at full health, in full form, Eric Bailly and Harry Maguire is the partnership to go uh, forward with.
1: You know, on that note, if you guys want to learn more, I, I read a fantastic article about Nemanja Vidic, Actually written by Rio Ferdinand. It's on the United website, and if you, if you, if any of you want to have a read, and Vivek, there are a couple of things that you just mentioned in there. I don't know if you've read that article, but it was very similar to what Rio Ferdinand actually mentioned. Oh wow! No, oh, I haven't read it, so I feel I feel good already. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and Rio talks about when Vidic and Evra first signed for the club, and then the likes of Rooney and Ferdinand were all wondering what Ferguson was thinking signing these guys because they were completely out of their depth when they were in training sessions and and even in games, right? Rio mentioned, you know, Vidic of all people was struggling to come to terms with A, the physicality of the league and B, the fitness levels. He was always out of breath and, and things like that. But then he talked about the partnership with Vidic and how that came to be. And it was, he said, they very rarely discussed you know, if I go there, you go here. Or if I'm jumping, you make sure. You're... They, they had none of those conversations. Apparently, how they built this relationship was in training sessions. Sometimes he wouldn't be partnered up with uh, Vidic. He would be with Wes Brown or Sylvester or whoever, right? And he said, most of his learnings happened when he was off the pitch waiting to come on. And he said, I watched Nemanja's movements. I watched where he would go when a ball was played here or if the ball was in the air. And as soon as I watched that, I knew what his natural tendencies were going to be. As a result, I could then complement his behavior, right? And that's why you could see that almost telepathic connection between the two. And that just didn't come about because of natural talent. It came about because of game intelligence, right? And so how many of the youngsters in training, how many of these guys, when they're not actually performing the drills, are looking at what that center back is doing? And I think this is something where It probably separates the good from the great.
0: It's also a complete commitment for doing what's best for the team and just finding, hey, how can I make this person better? If we can work this partnership as well as possible, then it's better for the team. And guess what? As a partnership, as you've alluded to, when you've got defensive partnerships succeeding together, you're going to ride that as long as you can. I will say until that chemistry is built up and there's that innate understanding of each other, the communication needs to be better. Yes. Harry Maguire, if he thinks he has a read on that ball, he needs to call it out right away. Boom. Away, it's gone. Yeah. If Lindelof says right away, then he knows, hey, now I've verbally committed to it. I have to go for it. And I think back to the mistake that uh, United made in the Champions League. Remember when that ball came through, and Harry Maguire and David De Gea did not communicate. That was against Red Bull, right? Yeah. And the ball goes right in between them and Cliver puts it in, right? Mm-hmm. A situation like that, until you develop that strong understanding of each other, I think communication is the key.
1: Yeah. And it just goes to show you, you know, as a, as a center back pairing, along with your goalkeeper, it's so important to have that connection. In these times where you have to have the squad rotation, it's almost like you have to have two shifts where the, the pairings are never being broken up. Now, one thing we, we can tell from the way United's going about is that Harry Maguire is playing day in, day out. It doesn't matter who else is his partner, but he's going to be there, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. And speaking of Harry Maguire, I thought he had a fantastic game today. Some of the interceptions, the blocks, uh, physicality, headers... You name it, he had all of it today. Uh, He didn't deserve to be on the losing side.
0: Oh, he was fantastic. I thought he was great. And I think he's on such a great run of form. You can see his confidence uh, on the ball as well. When United conceded, the way he was getting forward, that was leadership as well, right? And it's showing, hey, we're going to go for this goal. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to find a way. Even when he's playing now those, those lobbed passes and spraying the ball, that's something you didn't see last season. He didn't have that confidence. Every time he did it, it was going out of play as well. <laughs> so, Yeah. And so now when teams are pressing and you're able to break it up by playing that ball over the top, it can get United into transition quicker. Now, damn Man City and their tactical fouling and their excellent positioning. You wish United could have done more on an attacking front. We've talked about all those things. We talked about Harry Maguire being excellent. Who was your Cantona caller for this match? It, it would be Harry Maguire for me. I just thought he did a fantastic job,
1: and I'll give a little bit of a shout out to Dean Henderson. He made some. Uh, he made one really good save. Yeah, from I think it was Mares who hit that, and it was destined for the corner, uh, but he he came up with the goods there. But for me, it was Harry Maguire. Did you have anybody
0: else in mind? I actually had Henderson in mind. Okay, just because I docked Maguire a little bit for it conceding that first goal Mm -hmm. he's the one who's there day in day out take charge of that situation just call it out and get it out of there and so I docked him a little bit for that Henderson I didn't think there was anything that he could have done differently especially after that goal that was conceded against Sheffield United every time he receives the ball and United are playing out of the back I'm watching a bit more carefully to see how he's responding to all of it And he showed no issues in this match. And I thought his ball distribution was solid. Looked very comfortable in net. big match, derby game. You're playing at home, no fans. But I thought his response was excellent. And you've touched on his mental toughness before. Even in the Sheffield match, we saw it. Like he made that mistake, but he got past it. There was nothing that phased him after that. It wasn't like you saw any shaky moments after that. So I thought he was really, really good. But you know, maybe I am being a bit too harsh on Maguire, so I'm comfortable with giving it to Harry. Actually, you know what? Now, the more I think about it, I was disappointed too with those two chances that Harry Maguire had offset pieces. I think he's got to do a little bit better.
1: I, I, I 100% agree with you. I think the the amount of times that he actually gets his head on the ball but not mm-hmm. on target... For a guy that big and making those runs, uh, you've got to do better because you you look at some of the other center backs in the league who are able to get in there. Like Kurt Zuma comes to mind, where he's he's getting on the end of those. Even a Thiago Silva, uh, Van yeah. Dyke when he was playing, same thing, right? You you gotta you gotta chip in and contribute. Nemanja Vidić, who we were talking
0: about, he always had a knack of doing that as well. I mean, we saw a set piece master in Sais very recently. Yeah, he, <laughs> who always needs to find his way. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, so that's definitely something that he needs to work on. I mean, since his goal against Newcastle,
0: he's had several headers. Thinking about those now, I've, I'm have i taking it back. I'm going with Dean Henderson. What about you? I think uh, you bring up
1: a good point because it, if you want to be that world-class center back, you got to have different facets to your game. And clearly, Harry Maguire is showing... That obviously he has no problems with the ball in the air and defending it. And now bringing the ball out and playing those long balls, he's, he's getting much better at it. It was a little disappointing, the goal being conceded. And also, I could think of at least two to three different times where he got his head on the ball. And hopefully, he could have done a little bit more with that. So I, I, I'm with you, Dean Henderson. I think, especially given his nightmare start against Sheffield United, he did really well to come back in this game and showed uh, no signs of nervousness.
0: Something I think we have no debate over is the Beckham boot. Anthony Marshall, please, please find a way to get it going. One more match that you'll slot in comfortably for against Watford before Cavani is eligible again. We talk about Cavani, Cavani, Cavani. At the end of the day, there's a lot of this season left. And United aren't going to get by with just Cavani as the main striking option.
1: You know what I'm actually pretty interested to see? I know he's not a striker, but I'm wondering if he can add a bit of a different element is the new player who's finally joining us from Atalanta in uh, Diallo. He's got a a very tricky left foot. And so that's potentially another option that can now be put on the right and then cut in and cross, right? Almost like a Greenwood, except somebody who actually wants to cross the ball. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, this doesn't really—if Martial's not going to make those runs, it doesn't matter who's crossing the ball, right? Even if it was Jaden Sancho, for that matter.
0: Good point. Noisy neighbor—I feel like there are quite a few candidates. I thought Ruben Diaz was excellent. Stones was great. Fernandinho did exactly what was required of him. KDB is always a threat. Ooh, who was your nominee for the noisy neighbor?
1: Uh, you know, all those that you mentioned for me as well, I think the person that I would give it to because he also got the goal was John Stones. I thought he w- he was really good in yep. this game. He showed what he's capable of and he did a fantastic job in the air, but you kind of expect that from a from a from a guy that tall. But his speed on the ground as well, when he was chasing after a ball and going with a one-on-one with some of our fast players, he was able to win them with ease, maintain possession and then, you know, start a counter. So for all all of those reasons, I think John Stones is who would be my
0: candidate. Yeah, I'm with you. I thought he was excellent. I think he's been in great form this season. The fact that he's playing ahead of Laporte when Laporte is healthy. Laporte was such a difference maker for City two years ago. And you saw how much the injury hampered them last season. And Stones obviously had his struggles last season. For him to bounce back and be in the form that he's in now, quite frankly, I think City are title favorites. I think having their defense set the way it is, they've been extremely stingy in the back. It's the attacking that hasn't really been the same for them this season. And if that rounds into form, if Sergio Aguero gets to a point where he's feeling fit and good again, City would be my favorites because Virgil van Dijk's not coming back for Liverpool.
1: City have been biding their time. and You talk about you know championship-type games where they haven't been playing well and they've been winning. Imagine mm-hmm. what's going to happen when they play well. You saw a sneak peek of that against the Chelsea game where 3-1 was an extremely flattering score for for Chelsea because it, it should have been 5 or 6.
0: That That is what is encouraging for me, right? Like City have really found form in the last few matches. And so you were getting them at their... I don't want to see, say best because I don't feel like they're at their best without Aguero. There's like still a bit more in the tank. But in terms of the players available, this was a really good City team. And the first half, United were right there. I thought it was a really even first half. Could have had a couple of moments that swung their way and maybe that swings the match. But it wasn't to be. So now we move on to another cup competition. And that will be Watford on Jan 9th. We had a conversation on the last episode that this was going to be an opportunity to rest players and really get everyone fresh-legged for the league fixtures that resume after that. Having missed out on this cup opportunity, though, does that make the FA Cup now a priority? And do you see much room to rest players now? So I think
1: that the FA Cup does become more of a priority. Having said that, I think that our squad depth is enough where you can still rotate your players and get the result. We are playing against Watford. Yes, they were a Premier League team last season. They aren't one this season. I do believe that the players that we do have on the bench can do the job for us. It is absolutely paramount that you do rest some of your attacking players. Like I think that Bruno Fernandes and uh, Marcus Rashford should be rested. That Liverpool game is extremely important. you got to have your guys firing on all cylinders. Imagine the message that you send out if you're able to to beat Liverpool. The league is priority for me. And then
0: second would be the Europa Cup. And then third would be the FA Cup. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. So maybe we can just quickly go over lineups. Cup match. So Dean Henderson's done nothing wrong. So I think he starts in goal again. Across the back, I would probably lean towards Tuan Zebe at right back. To give Juan Bissaka a break. And then I would play Lindelof and Maguire together again. And Alex Tellas at left back. Why no Bai? I would rather have him fit for Burnley.
1: Okay. Yeah, I think the fact that you've got Burnley coming up just three days later. Yeah. Because I, I would have said otherwise, like, hey, I, I want to see Bai play a game before the Liverpool game. And so by him playing against Burnley, you are getting that. And Burnley have some pretty tough strikers who love the ball in the air and wood and Barnes and they'll, they'll give you a hard time. So that will be a really good test. And you definitely know that's one of those games where long balls are going to be played, which is probably Victor Lindelof's biggest weakness. So yeah, that Mm -hmm. would make sense to me. Uh, Axel. I don't know. Uh, I'm on the fence about that one, but I can see like Aaron Wan-Bissaka needing a rest. I, I was thinking about Brandon Williams, but you know, Axel Twanzebe has been playing there much more frequently than
0: Williams, so I'll go with that one. Going to the midfield. Are you are you going to a 4 2 3 1? No. Considering Watford? Mm-hmm. What
1: are you looking at? A 4 4 2? I mean, I, I would be looking at just one DM and potentially going to the diamond formation as a result of just having one DM. So, so yeah. So if you're if you're going with the diamond formation, you, you've got your pick between Scott, Fred, uh, Matic. I could see Matic getting the run in for that one on the base on the base of that diamond. Uh, I can see Paul Pogba playing this game on the left, potentially. Or even actually in at the top of the diamond. I could see him playing there. And then you've got Donny van der Beek. I would think he has to play. Wouldn't he go at the top of the diamond? And then putting Paul on the left? Yeah. Yeah. It, it could go either way. I, I won't be surprised if they interchange during the game. So... So I would let's just say like the four midfielders in that situation would probably be Matic, uh, Donny van der Beek,
0: Paul Pogba, and then Greenwood. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So the midfield is where it gets interesting. We agree on Matic being the CDM and playing one CDM. Appropriate respect for Watford playing at home. United playing at home is what I mean. If you're looking at Pogba and Van de Beek partnering each other and linking up as much as possible, you maybe go with Daniel James on the left side, because I've said Tellez will be the left back. So James is more capable of doing or performing his defensive responsibilities. So that's who I would lean to on that left side. On the right side, you can possibly go with Juan Mata, and then you've got... Anthony Marshall or Mason Greenwood up front.
1: Is there any chance that Greenwood and Martial play up front or it's just one or the other?
0: No, you could see both. I think Solskjaer would be within his rights to I don't want to say desperate, but like try to find a way to get Marshall in form. And so if this is the game to do it, where he bags a couple and then now he's feeling good about himself. I could see him going with that line of thinking. Greenwood, I think, has to get the opportunity. I don't think there's any question about that.
1: So are we in agreement then that Bruno and Rashford are not playing?
0: Absolutely. Those two, if you're not going to rest them in this fixture, then when are you going to rest them? Third round against Watford, there should be enough squad depth to handle the business. I wouldn't even name them as subs. Wow. Put it on the players. Put it on the players and say, yeah, you guys have to get the job done.
1: No, uh, fair enough. I think, uh, you know, when Ole made that quote about, hey, there's no faking it when we're talking about competition, this is the the proof is in the pudding, and it's right here, this game. Right? So let's see what happens. But So I guess at the end of the day, it's going to be Matic has the one DM, and then you got Pogba, Donny van de Beek, and James, and then Greenwood and
0: Martial uh, up top. Yeah I'm good with that. That about covers it for this episode. So far it's been pretty smooth sailing with our picks Carl. We've only got you know a couple wrong here and there. Maybe Ole's listening to us who knows. One person that's listening to us for sure is Mark Ramkishan and just want to give him a shout out. He's been a very loyal listener been very supportive of the podcast. Frankly he was one of the few people on Twitter that was pushing me to start a Manchester United podcast because he's a big Raptors fan and Uh, we've gone back and forth about United tweeting about United. And so, uh, he's sort of one of the origins of just putting the idea in my head. So shout out Mark and shout out to everyone else. Who's been listening. We're really appreciative of the support as we keep it going. A reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at red couch banks. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and join us after every match reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated on behalf of Carl and myself. Thank you for listening to red couch banks.